0: reading from John 15 verses 17 through 21. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Choir is singing. I want you to join them again. And would you... I'm a little undone this morning, and maybe you are too. What a week we've had, right, around the world. And uh, as I listened to all of us sing, I was thinking of uh, the Christians in the Ukraine. Little undone. Let's sing with them in mind. Let's sing with peace in mind stand with them in the subway close your eyes as you sing and stand with sisters and brothers around the world right now and pray for them if you would imagine yourself Keep your hearts and minds stayed on Jesus right now as you stand in the gap for fellow Christians around the world who are suffering. And it's not just the Ukraine. There's believers in Russia who are speaking up for peace. There's believers in every country of the world. There are believers in Baltimore City right now and churches around this city right here standing up for peace, waging peace in this city who cry And sing worship to God in in the light of violence that goes on every day here, as well as around the world. So with your eyes closed, your hands raised, if you can, and surrender to a God of peace. And whisper your prayers to God for our sisters and brothers, for peace in this world. Take a moment. Amen, amen, amen. Let's hear that ovation again for our Lord, for the Spirit who guides us. And you may be seated in his presence. And I I tell you what, this worship team is on fire this morning. I I don't know about you, but I will be joining them. Nudge me if I forget, but I'm going to be joining the choir for the last song. It's one of my very favorites, so you can look forward to that. In some ways, I don't even need to preach, Jamal, with that song coming up. But I thank you, worship team, for being with us this morning, planning all that. What a week we've had and, and in the wake of a, of a new and serious war in Europe on top of the violence that's ongoing in our neighborhoods alongside an, an ongoing pandemic, I could have titled this message this morning, Maxed Out, right? Or in a conversation I had with some of our friends in Managua uh, this week, uh, one of them said, no mas, no mas, it's too much. It's a tipping point, right? Add, adding a war. But listen, our text this morning the Paul read, it's gonna help us. It's gonna help us, but it begins with a shock that is analogous to what we heard. If you were awake a little bit into the evening this past Thursday evening and you heard about war and in the invasion of the Ukraine, there's a shock that's analogous to that in our text this morning. Jesus has been explaining to his friends the wonderful privileges Of following him. We see that in verse 17 that was read just now. He's spoken of both abiding in his love. And the divine blueprint. Whereby we are to love one another the way he loved us. And it is glorious. We talked about it last week. And I would encourage you online and here to go back and listen to that message. About those verses on love. And before I go to this shock. Let me pray one more time. Because we're about to to head into another world war of type. In this text, and I want to pray for us as we go there. Thank you, worship. Father, the world is filled with opposites. And you've called us to make choices as we walk in our journey of faith with you. Father, help us to grow as a church this morning because of your word, because of your spirit within us. Challenge us. Uh, to go farther, higher up, and farther in into your kingdom here on earth. Only your spirit can do it, but your spirit does it when we invite him, we invite you now into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, immediately following his his command to love, his speaking of abiding in love, his his fellowship of love, all this love that has come out in his in in the upper room in these final words, Uh, right before the cross, he now tells us of a world war to come. We find in verse 18, uh, Jesus is revealing a dimension of hate that will wage war against the beloved community and the entire world on account of our difference with the unbelieving world. So I'm working from the title this morning, instead of maxed out, I'm working from the title, The Way of Love Part 2, Part 1 was last week, Loving Amidst Hate. Loving amidst hate, Fair, fairly relevant for this week, right? Now, Grace City, you may have been one of those, and I know the question was asked in my household, why in the world is Russia attacking the Ukraine? There's so much history there. There's so much um, family across those borders. Why are they attacking? And you might ask as you read this text this morning, and you'll see it online coming up, why should there be any hatred of love? Why should there be any hatred of goodness? Why should there? Well, here's the text again in verse 19, the second half. Take a look at it. Take a look at it at home. As it is, Jesus says, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. World war. So church, it must be understood that following Christ represents a distinctly different way of living. And When I was first meeting Christ as as a 14-year-old through the Ministry of Young Life, that was compelling for me. I liked the idea of being different. I liked the idea of following Christ being different because I was enough of a contrarian to enjoy the, the idea of being different. But what we are actually pursuing is going to bring hate because we're pursuing the lifestyle of another age. Not an age in the past. There's not something about making something great again. We are pursuing, church, the lifestyle of an age to come a kingdom age, an age on earth as it will be in heaven. It comes as a jolt to some. And because living for Christ is therefore all or nothing, it's truth in the midst of lies. It's goodness in the midst of evil. Many will actively hate it. And that's a jolt. Now we find paired opposites like, like this in in chapter 15. And I'm, these, these are opposites that include love and hate, and joy and persecution, and by implication for us in the months ahead, peace and war. And I'm going to say a lot more about opposites at the finish of the message, but for now, we need to see that love is not the full story of John 15, is it? Hate comes to us as well. And like the Russian army in this past week, hate comes from multiple directions at the same time. And by the way, has any have you been keeping up with the stories and the the videos and and the the vignettes from from Kiev where President Zelensky comes out on the street to lead his people? It is, I don't know much about him, but it's inspiring to me. That's leadership to me. It's not unlike seeing Cory Barnes lead the men of We are Us out onto the streets weekly, daily. It's not unlike that. It's just heroic. so let's let's dig into the text. And let's look first. At the hate we gather, the hate we gather. In Grace City, there will be hate that Christians gather, not intentionally, but before I go further with that, sometimes we are responsible for the hate we gather because we represent the kingdom of God poorly. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we're small-minded. Sometimes we're dismissive to others. Sometimes we signal greed, and that brings hate that probably is our fault. But there is hate that we gather simply because we follow Christ. And that's what this text begins with. Jesus wants us to know uh, all of this is coming our way. But at the same time, he is rather non-anxious about it. And that can come as a shock to us, too. He's like, "Yeah, it's coming. And I'll prove it to you. Look at verses 17 to 19 and 23. He says, this is my command, love each other. Okay, that's finishing a section. And he immediately turns. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, it said, he says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But you don't. You do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you. We, we learned this last week. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And he goes on in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. In these verses, the word hate appears five times. And all of a sudden, this night of love, this night before the cross, turns into a night of hate. And it's a dramatic shift. The disciples who have been trying all along to understand the promises of agape love, which we broke down last week, they're now confronted with the fact that while they are loved by God, they will be hated by the world. Hard news. And it's hard news for us. He even, Jesus even owns the reasons behind why this is happening and why we ought to expect it. Look again at verse 20. Remember what I told you, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. He's not protecting us from this. If they persecuted me, he says, they will persecute you also. When they hate on me, they will hate on you because they don't know me. And they don't know me in you. This is a prophecy of persecution, church. Gerhard Kittel said it this way. Christian suffering, then, is inseparable from the Christian life. Inseparable from the Christian life. And he's correct. We must count the cost when we decide to follow Jesus. And Jesus promised it another way a few minutes later, and we'll be preaching this about a month from now, Corey. But John 16, He says this, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And we're going to come back to peace in a, min- in a minute. In the world, he says, you will have tribulation, trouble, trials. This word tribulation is translated as pressure, squeezing, even translated as war. In this world, you'll have war, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Are you of good, like when war breaks out, can you be of good cheer? It's really something, I mean, thanks a lot. He is not nearly as anxious about our trouble and trials and tribulation as we are. You remember the story, perhaps, of Jesus in the boat when the storm comes up, and Jesus is asleep, and the disciples, and particularly the fishermen, the ex-fishermen, are so scared because the storm is so severe, they think they're going to drown, and where's Jesus? He's asleep in the stern. And they go to him, and they shake him and say, don't you care? Ironic to ask Jesus if he cares. He's on the way to the cross for us. He's pretty non-anxious about the trouble that comes our way. And Paul, Paul reiterates this. Look at Philippians 1.29. Paul says it this way. For to you, this is to you, this is to you, this is to me. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, I would settle for that, but also to suffer for his sake. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been granted to you. It's a gift to suffer for his sake. And all but one of the disciples, all but one and many, many, many more faithful throughout history have suffered imprisonment and torture and death for the sake of following Christ for their faith. And you should know that the horror of persecution, it still goes on in our world. Globally in 2022, Christians face astonishing discrimination around the world. One research group recently estimated that nearly 100 million people who identify as Christians are under persecution in the world today. So Christians with a global perspective, and I hope that we will grow our global perspective, particularly in light of the events in Europe this week. If you have a global perspective, you can rightly identify yourselves as part of a persecuted people in the 21st century. But you may be thinking, and you should be thinking, that this dimension of hate may not seem very applicable to us here in America. Because we're not part of that 100 million in America. In our own brief history we know little of this kind of New Testament persecution, except perhaps through hateful responses to our faith. Now, some will say that freedom and safety for Christians in America is fading fast and that persecution of Christians in America will escalate in the years ahead. Perhaps, I'm not a futurist, but I don't see it what we're about to go through or have been through as particularly representative of New Testament persecution today or tomorrow. We'll see. That's not to say that there are not very real incidents of discrimination and hatred toward Christianity. Some of you may have have been um, uh, a part of that, a recipient of that. Without doubt, at times, it's inconvenient to be a Christian in America in a largely post-Christian society. We should expect that. Our Christian faith is no longer automatically respected, right? But it must be said that we have a tendency as Christians, maybe particularly in America, to complain rather too easily. Are we still friends if I say that? Thank you for those questions, Corey. We are deeply sensitive in America for any perceived loss of liberty, no matter how it might serve others. We resent it for ourselves, but, but church, don't forget. Christians are those who are called to give up power or deny themselves, lift up the other and sacrifice themselves. And doing so never equates to persecution. This is our call. So be careful of the narrative that that any loss of privilege equates to persecution of the New Testament. It does not. But let's take Jesus up on his invitation to good cheer, no no matter the hate we gather. Be of good cheer. I've overcome it and start focusing on things of real significance which is loving amidst the hate loving if somebody say loving amidst the hate that's our call so so let me say a word about hate about hate and the dangerous impact of hate church hate is the moral assassin of every moral practice it is a killer Hate cannot do justice. Hate never loves mercy. And filled with itself, with only with itself, it never ever walks humbly. Are you with me? It takes a side and, and it hates every other side. It hate has no capacity to navigate the intricacies of doing life on this planet. It is a killer, and more and more to the point, it is contagious. Hate is contagious. And Jesus is warning us about this. Hate erodes all the ties that bind a person to God and to others. It erodes those ties. And when there's a time of need, when that person uh, who's been delving into hate has a need and reaches back for the ties to God and others, those ties break and that individual sinks back into the abyss of hate, despairing, and hell rejoices while the world suffers. You wonder why, why you know, th- this, is, this is Judas who's about to lead the group that arrests Jesus just hours from these words. This is, this is Russia with no allies invading a neighbor. This is, this is the kind of hate that's out there in the world, and it's a killer. But loving amidst hate, this is the choice that we are called to make when we follow Jesus. And he is modeling it for us here as he heads to the cross. Don't forget. Jesus is headed to the cross in just hours after commanding us to love in the midst of hate. So the Bible, the gospel, the church, our faith, and preeminently church, Jesus on the cross, all of that is one great battle cry against hate in the lives of human beings. Amen? And you will never really know love until you love someone who hates you. Let me say it again. You will never No love until you love somebody who hates you, because that's what Jesus did when he loved you and me, you and me. He loved us while we were yet enemies. He gave up his life while we were sinners. He loved us, and he calls us to that kind of action of love. We can only do it in Christ, right? We can't do it on our own. We're just not good at it. But it is that kind of love that differentiates us in a a hate-filled, war-wrenched world. In the midst of every situation where there is no way out, where nothing is clear, where the world seems to be poised on the rim of of collapse, our hope remains in Christ. And here it is again. What do we name it? I got a phrase for you. Here's, Here's why our hope remains in the midst of that. I have overcome the world. Jesus said it. Don't worry. Grace City. we are friends with the one who overcame hate, nailed it to the cross, let it captive from the empty tomb, and committed it to oblivion. So we make our way together in this world with Christ, looking to him who overcomes the world again and again and again, because we need him today and tomorrow and next week. We need him to overcome the world. But please, church, please, let me make a transition here, because we have to allow ourselves uh, me most of all, have to allow ourselves to begin this this life with self-examination because we are way too often, and it's going to be hard. I, I I was actually debating with myself this week, do we need a reprieve from all that's going in the world or do we need a challenge? And if you've known me for a while, you know I'm going to head toward the challenge because I think that's what church should do. But way too often we need the self-examination because way too often we are vehicles of hate as Christians you get it? You, you, I, know, I know this is hard. Let's look at it. This is the hate, not with, that we gather, but this is the hate we give. The hate we give, my second point this morning. Let me ask you a question. Which is harder, church, loving people who you don't like or loving people who don't like you? Which is harder? And you might be hard-pressed to answer that this morning, but, but this very week you will no doubt be called to love somebody who doesn't like you and to love someone who you don't like. That's how practical the scripture is. That's how uh, intense Jesus' call is. We're not good at either one of those things. We're just not on our own. And we have lots of excuses for it these days. So many excuses. But we must understand John's... this, This is all... These words are being recorded by the Apostle John. He has a commentary for these very words in his own epistle, uh, his commentary on Jesus' upper room words uh, about love. And in his first epistle, take a look at this on your screen at home. He writes this. We love because he first loved us. He chose us. He pulled us out of the world, and that's how we love. But watch this. This This is hard. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen that's John's commentary on where we are in the text somebody say yikes because we're just too often vehicles of hate great city Followers of Christ are not immune from the hate that destroys both our witness and our spirit. We're not immune from it. Anyone, anyone who has been a vehicle of hate understands the dreadful impact it has on your soul. Do you remember? The excuses we tell to appease our conscience, the, the pleading attempt we make to defend ourselves. Hate distorts our God-designed humanity. This is not what the human made by God is meant to look like. We are a distortion when we give in to hate. Let me talk about intramural hate for a minute, Christian to Christian hate, because it's going on. It's a blood sport in our world these days. Amen? Nod your heads, because we we have to put our arms around this. We lament the war in Ukraine, and I'll come back to that, but even while we use the language of war on one another. Earlier Earlier this month, a highly influential leader of a Christian rock band said, it's time, listen to this, it's time we declare war on the deconstruction Christians. Seriously? How is it that we imagine we are preserving the church when we are only preserving our own idea of it? How how can we go there? Now, I tend to translate talk about deconstruction into growth. I think it's about growing. After all, Luther... Luther was a deconstructionist. You won't see that in the literature, but he was. And he received a lot of hate for it. So too was Calvin. So too was Wilberforce. So too was Harriet Tubman. So too was Dr. King. God's most miraculous work seems to come at the point of our greatest frustration, helplessness, and despair. And that's when we grow up into him. That's when we need him. That's when we push the bounds of what we think we know into into what heaven knows. The deconstructionist is the one who says, how long? How long will we stand for this? And things change. We must at least have ears, at least have ears as Christians to understand the very personal expression from anyone who talks of deconstruction. Perhaps they aren't dropouts at all. Perhaps they're graduates. And we need to listen. Who knows? Let's be careful out there, Gray City. Anyone know that TV show? Hill Street Blues. Let's be careful out there. Too many Christians have become bitter and angry in the inevitable conflicts within the church. The conflicts will come. Jesus is not anxious about that. How we respond. Can we love amidst the conflict? That's the call. Don't get tied up in that there's conflicts. Get tied up in loving amidst them. Let's resolve to love even as we take on the battles of heaven. Ask yourself this morning, what are the Lord's battles? And here's one tool to employ that, that has helped me. Ask Ask yourself more about what you are for in your faith journey and much less about what you are against in your faith journey. Are you with me? Does that make sense? What are you for? Here's a few examples for me. I'm for justice. I'm for racial equality. I'm for the disenfranchised. I'm for the oppressed. And when I frame it that way, I'm, I am more likely can be of good cheer as I take on those battles. I don't have to come out against someone. I could come out for someone. That's a tool that that I think helps us and it it helps us follow Christ's example to love amidst the hate in good cheer. Let me suggest a final tool and I and I promised we'd think about opposites before we close John 15 and and this is probably more speaking as a psychotherapist than a pastor. So can you stay with me Um, because this issue of opposites is 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 really important. Our text is swimming in opposites. Today, and I don't want us to be confused. Niels Bohr, who was a, physicist, a famous physicist, was a colleague of Albert Einstein, and he once told Einstein something that Einstein reported later. And here's what he said. The opposite of a true statement is a false statement. But the opposite of a profound truth is usually another profound truth. The opposite of a profound truth is usually another profound truth. Grace City, that's brilliant. And one of the most life-changing realizations you will ever have is if you can put your arms around exactly what he said. The opposite of a profound truth is usually another profound truth. Profound truths, every good thing exists in a state of what you've heard me call in the past a duality. Dualities are when two good things that seem to contradict demand careful thought to put them together. We see the greatest examples of such dualities in the first chapter of, of Genesis, just one after another. The voice pierced the darkness with light. It spoke five more dualities into existence and proclaimed each of the six pairs of opposites to be good light and dark, land and sea, heavens and earth, male and female, etc. Opposites, opposites, yet both good at the same time and when paired together, creating limitless possibilities. All right? And we know this in human practice. Let me bring it down to earth for you a little more. We know this when we navigate the dualities of freedom and responsibility. You take the side of freedom. You take the side of responsibility. Which is more important? <laughs> and they, they seem to conflict, don't they? Here's another one. Love, you be love, you be truth. Which is more important? Have a debate. But in the end, you've got to put them together. Here's the best of all in our world. Justice, you be justice, you be mercy. How do you do justice and mercy at the same time? But it's where God puts us. One of the greatest formulations ever is Micah 6, 8, when he says, here's what the Lord requires, do justice, love mercy, at the same time, and the only way you get there is to walk humbly. But church, listen to me. Not all paired opposites are dualities. Some are just pairs that oppose one another. And that's where our text centers us this morning. The love and hate that we see in John 15, they are opposites, but they're not a duality. Good and evil are opposites, but they're not a duality. Because the first leads to life and the second leads to death. These are things in life that we must constantly choose between. This is our job description in Christ. We must ask which one is good and which one is evil, and then do the good. Somebody say, do the good. The reality of war in Europe, the violence in our neighborhoods, the, the hate within America, American politics and within our own Christian ranks, it brings this biblical question home. How do we find peace when there is no peace? I'm not the first to ask that. Peace, peace, but there is no peace is the cry of the Old Testament. Because, because like love and hate and good and evil, peace and war are opposites that can never work together. In the stark choice between peace and war, the follower of Christ carries an obligation to prosecute a war with war. Not with the tools of war, but rather with the grace of its opposite. We are to wage peace. Wage peace. And I mean it that way. In his name. I read a poem this morning, uh, just before I got in the car to come here, that said, I can't force peace on the world, but I can be a force for peace in the world. I love that. I can't remember who wrote it. I don't think I read the name. Wherever we go, church, Grace City, wherever we go, whether it's your social media platform, whether it's your presence in the city, anywhere we go in the world, when we see any kind of war, any kind of beef, any kind of Quarrel, we are fully commissioned to be his agents of peace. Commissioned and given the power to do it in Christ. It is our mission to help humans love rather than consume one another. And we have to start with each other. If we can't do it with each other, we, we can't do it. Because peace leads to life. We cannot be, we cannot church be neutral. We can't be neutral in this. In the same way Jesus calls us all friends, We can be no less to the world. We are friends to all and enemies to none. Friends to all, enemies to none. Because like love and hate and good and evil, peace and war are opposites that never work together. In this stark choice between peace and war, we must wage peace. In the present crisis, Gray City, the minds of all of us are especially anxious today, this morning, with the dreadful prospects of a terrible struggle ahead. We don't know where these events are gonna take us. And we will continue to lift up our Ukrainian sisters and brothers with our hands held, singing with them in the subway. They live in the midst of terror. We'll continue to to lift our hands with our brothers and sisters here in Baltimore. We'll lift our hands with our Russian friends too, right? Particularly those who, who are lending their voices to peace, and there's many. We will walk the streets of our city waging peace for a generation or more, the next generation, whatever it takes, right, Corey? We'll, we'll, We'll walk the streets with our hands held in surrender saying, peace, peace, sisters, peace, brothers. We will plead to God in the midst of all of it, send peace in our days. This is our job. There's going to be so many differing perspectives. This is why we have to grab onto our global, our global perspective. Because, listen, Europeans who are crushed against the front lines, they're going to have a very different experience than we are. We can ignore so much. Don't. Join your your sisters and brothers. In Baltimore's violence, your perspective is largely determined by your zip code. Don't let that be the barrier. Join your sisters and brothers who need you. But remember, Grace City, that the global church has the most substantial perspective of all. We do. God's kingdom on earth will one day proclaim universal peace under the name of Jesus Christ. That day is coming. And until that day, scatter peace. With both your hands. Paul coaches us on how to step into the bow. You wonder, how do I do that? He says it in Philippians 4. Take a look at it. He says this. Listen, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. And here it is. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Somebody say practice. We can practice peace rather than anger. See, we're, we're good we, we practice hate with each other way too often, and we get good at it. You practice something, you can become an Olympic athlete and hate. Start practicing peace and see how good you get. Athletes who compete at that level, they never give up practice. They're, it's not like they reach a level and no, I don't need to practice anymore. I am where I... you gotta keep practicing. Practice peace. And then he ends, and the God of peace, Paul says, will be with you. Wow. As the worship team comes up, church, if we'd ended John 15 with last week's text that studied love and embraced love, and we broke down all the words for love, eight different words for love in the Greek language, if we ended there, we'd have an unbalanced view of Christian discipleship, wouldn't we? Hate is a part of our story, our journey of faith as well. So loving amidst hate is our charge. And here's a thought for you as we end this morning. When Christianity through the years, went through the centuries, has drawn new believers, it does so as we look back on on church history, not so much through the influence of logical discussion, but far more through the appeal of Christ's character. His supreme manifestation of selfless love on the cross, which is coming one day from now in this upper room. Throughout history, even in wars and pandemics, millions of people, in spite of themselves, in spite of their beliefs, in spite of their past, in spite of pandemics, in spite of their hate, millions have declared, when they finally meet Jesus, they have declared, such a person I will follow. This man, this man who gave his life for me, I can follow him. So peacemakers, great City, let's follow him. Let's go love like him. Let's wage peace like him until we get really good at it. Amen? Let's stand up and sing. I'm going to join the choir. Some of you need to come up. Mary Lou, come on up here. And um, because this, this song is off, off the chain. So let's stand and worship. Then we'll come back for our call to action. Corey, you're going to join me for that.